Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Harsh Realm, Episode 9. 75 million bucks in gold, Hobbs, and I'm getting a cut. What do you mean? I mean, they're letting me in on the hall. You should get your share, too. All we have to do is set up the battle, let them fight. Watch them kill each other? that's what they want to do I say let them fight I can't do that you already have welcome to continuum drag the podcast is recording remotely again this week because Drake won't respect Jordan's schedule (laughs) well maybe we shouldn't say that but sadly it is it is true but I think that's what we should probably leave it at (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to talk too much about your job i guess yeah that's fine let's 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 leave it at that i mean yeah i think don't it's worry fine. everyone you'll hear all about this in push a t's next dra- uh diss track so you'll learn all about it. yeah i have no idea what you're talking about but yeah i'll agree with you <laughs> uh i'm luke this is my co-host jordan what's real jordan oh y'all you know i'm just paying at the pump hey we got two things so in many- there that's pretty good so many great catchphrases. Yeah. Was was there any really great catchphrases from um well I mean what's real was from uh what do you call that? What's that show? Tech Tech War? Was there anything tech from War. anything from Beyond Westworld other than like you're a woman, go back to the kitchen? Um I'm trying to think, but uh, nothing pops to mind. I think that was a pretty catchfree uh catchphrase free zone. Uh, no one liked that show. I don't think any of our listeners liked it. We didn't really like it. The viewing public in 1980 didn't like it. Well, I've got some exciting news for you, actually. Oh, really? I just finished watching Westworld Season 2. Oh, did you? I, I kind of have stalled because uh, it's a mix of boredom and I just kind of stopped watching. And so I don't know if I'm ever going to finish it. Well, uh, the finale, let me tell you, when they introduced John Moore, who we... No, do they really? Yeah, and Quaid. No... Are you joking? Right. I, I'm lying to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought, what a weird thing to have created some sort of continuity and synergy with a failed TV show that I'm sure they want to forget. That would have been nuts. You actually had me for a bit. <laughs> I, I, I knew you had to finish it, so I figured you would, uh, you'd, you'd buy into it. What, what a silly rube I am. Just a country rube, Jordan. I ain't one of your fancy Kansas City lawyers, you know? uh before we get into things though i i since this is the last episode we're going to do on harsh realm i uh, i thought i'd tie up one of the loose ends from our first episode oh yeah what was that i texted my mom and i got her to send me my uh list of things i wrote from the millennium that went into the time capsule oh cool what was in there uh i'll give you i'll give you a brief little uh, little peek at it the questions weren't on the piece of paper. Whatever they were are gone now. Right. So I all I have is the uh, the answers, but I've done my best to figure out what the questions were. I hope they weren't yes and no's. No, no. There, I I believe they. The, one of them was what what job do you want in the twenty first century? I said uh, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Oh, that's cute. Because of Jurassic Park. Yeah, it didn't work out for me, but yeah, that's all right. My prediction for the future, though, was filmmaking would be made easier. Uh, in some ways, I suppose. The hours are still ridiculous. Digital, though. I, I think that's... Uh, I, I get partial points. That was your prediction for the future? That was my prediction for the future. Oh. I mean, I don't think in two thousand or 1999 it was too hard to guess that uh, digital filmmaking was around the corner. It was like one of your predictions were like that century would end. <laughs> what else? Hold on. I'll go through the rest of this pretty quickly here. I said the best event from the 20th century was the man landing on the moon. The man. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I think that's a good pick. My favorite band from the year 2000? Do you have, do you have a guess? My, I'm going to guess. I'm going to throw it out there just who was popular at the time. I'm going to guess Incubus. <laughs> uh, Weird Al. In 2000, your favorite band was to Weird Al? I did not listen to a lot of music. <laughs> oh, wow. I, like uh, That might have been my answer in 1990. I was probably listening to his uh, parody song that uh, was about episode one. I do. I actually remember that. Yeah. Uh, favorite actor, William H. Macy. The, the teens love William H. Macy. I had a poster on my wall of Willem. It's great. It's great. I love William. 
And uh, the last the last one that, that she sent actually had a had a uh, thing associated with it. it. We were supposed to write down our favorite memories. Uh, my favorite memories were The Simpsons and Seinfeld. Oh, that's you know what that that's that's all really nice. There's nothing there's nothing too much to be embarrassed about there. My mom texted me after she sent it to me. And she says, "I don't know why I tried so hard to create family memories for you when all you wanted to remember was TV." <laughs> I I remember uh, at one point I found a list I had made, and it was just my favorite movies and different different things. And you know what my favorite movie I had listed was? And this is it was Star Trek Generations. Ooh, which isn't even a, a very good Star Trek movie, but I was. No. And I think my like number two was like Batman Forever, and I was like, "Oh, this is a bad time, Jordan." You you had specific tastes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, did you uh, do you have anything you want to get into before the show starts? Yeah, I was going to talk about um, some of the, uh, I guess, post harsh realm careers that uh, some of these people had. Great. I'm very curious. Actually, I did a little bit of research, but I've I haven't actually looked that hard into it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go through it quick. But I w- I'm going to mention one thing off the off the bat that I'm not going to go in the order that people would think I'm going to go in. Uh, I'm going to save Scott. Bearstow, I guess he pronounces his name, who plays Thomas Hobbs. I'm going to save him for the last, and uh, uh, you'll see why. But um, anyways, obviously the show started created by Chris Carter. I don't think we really need to talk much about him. We know what he's done, which is pretty much the X-Files and a bunch of shows like this. Um, so we'll kind of move on to some of the other people, because I don't know how interesting that is. One thing that's kind of interesting is the uh, one of the producers on the show was Vince Gilligan, obviously most well-known for creating Breaking Bad. He didn't write any of these episodes. I think he's listed as like consulting producer on the show, but he's uh, early in his career wrote for The X-Files, Lone Gunman, and I think he also wrote some Millennium. So he clearly was a bit uh, either Chris Carter's right-hand man or at least was an up-and-coming writer at the time who has gone on to bigger and better things. So um, it's kind of fun to see his name on the credits, but I don't know how much he was involved in this show. So we'll go through some of the cast. So as we mentioned in the previous episode... Mike Pinocchio, who who knew his name was Mike, uh, was played by D.B. Sweeney. Since the show, he's he's been pretty steady. He's worked on everything from 24 to Two and a Half Men to Major Crimes. And if you're watching Sharp Objects, he's on that show now as well. Oh, really? Um, that, yeah. He's had a very, very, very successful career. He's been working very steady since uh, whenever the show was on, 99 or whatever it was, 2000. So uh, moving on, uh, Omar Santiago was played by Terry O'Quinn. And obviously, I think we've mentioned it before, he's most famous for Lost, uh, which came out after this. But he was also on Alias, The West Wing, Blacklist. And another person acting uh, is he's in the new uh, Castle Rock, which is the Stephen King show that's uh, currently airing now. J.J. Abrams loves him. And he's, again, another actor who's worked like crazy. If you need a bald guy, he's your, he's your man. All right, moving into some of the other characters who didn't have as uh, good roles. Playing the role of Florence, we had Rachel Hayward. She's been working pretty steady. There's been a lot of Christmas movies there. Uh, I wrote down a couple, which was Hearts of Christmas, Firehouse Christmas, which I know is your favorite. Oh, my top, top 10 Christmas movies. Yeah. One I liked was uh, Jingle All the Way 2, which in my opinion is the Godfather 2 of Christmas movies. I'm excited to know there is a Jingle All the Way 2. Yeah, I didn't Who's know either it? until I, I didn't look it up. I just went, oh, Jingle All the Way 2. And that's as far as I got. So that's a little homework for anyone listening. Waters, who weirdly his his credit he's just named as Waters. He does he's never given a first name in the show. Was played by Max Martini, and uh, as Courtney mentioned in a previous episode, he's he's worked in a what was it he worked on with her? Uh, Pacific Rim. Ah, uh, Pacific Rim. That's right. Well, he's also worked on things like Lie to Me, Revenge, Training Day, and NCIS Los Angeles, which is one of the thirty NCIS shows. Um, so again, another actor, kind of steady, steady working actor. Your parents love those, right? Yeah, everyone loves it. Every parent loves it. Sophie Green was played by Samantha Mathis, excuse me, Samantha Mathis, which weirdly, I couldn't remember what I knew her from. And then it just clicked this week when I was watching the last episode is that uh, she played Daisy in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, I recognized her name, too, and I couldn't figure out why. I'm going to go on a limb. and I know it's not an unpopular opinion. I kind of like that movie. It's really weird. And it, they built a very bizarre world. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I really enjoyed it at the time. So I, maybe maybe we should rewatch that sometime, Luke. I agree wholeheartedly. I uh, I think that movie has a lot going for it. Yeah. So anyways, she, she was in a bunch of stuff uh, since then, since like Grey's Anatomy, Under the Dome, and The Strain, and a bunch of other stuff. So again, working very steady. The uh, actress playing Inga Fossa was uh, Sarah Jane Redmond, 
And she is clearly a favorite of Chris Carter. She was in every Chris Carter show. She played two characters in the X-Files in Millennium, Harsh Realm. And now she's also been in stuff like Smallville, Arrow, and iZombie. So I think she's made a nice career of someone who can show up to comic conventions and sign many different photographs. Good. It's a good gig if you can get it. Hey, uh, not bad. Uh, Second to last, Dexter the dog. Oh, good. I was wondering if you were going to answer that question. (laughs) And we'll go to Dexter in a minute. But Dexter the dog, played by uh, Vinny. And uh, Vinny uh, has no other credits. So I'm assuming he died shortly after filming. Oh, I don't know if that's true, but he has no other credits. That's his only show he did. As soon as the show was canceled, they put him down. Yeah, they were like, like enough enough of you and your hilarious antics, you cute little dog. Um, and then, as I said, I'd saved uh, Scar Bearstow for the end. And it's a little bit weird, and it might be a bit of a downer, but before he did this show, he was mostly known uh, being the character Ned Grayson on Party of Five. I don't know if you ever watched Party of Five. I never did. I remember my sister did, but... Yeah, that was not in my wheelhouse. Yeah, he was apparently known for that. Um, and then he, uh, right after Hirschwalm, he was on the show Wolf Lake, which I don't know if you remember. No. His career took a bit of a turn, um, and I'll read this out to you. In January 2004, he was sentenced to four months in jail in Washington State following a modified guilty plea to second-degree assault. He, was, uh, he also agreed to undergo a sexual deviancy evaluation and to be under suspicion for one year following his release. He had originally been charged with second-degree rape after he was accused of having sex in 1998 with a 12-year-old girl who was related to his ex-wife and continued the relationship with her until 2001. Oh, no. So since, since that, he hasn't really had a career. I actually tried uh, looking up what he's been up to, and what it seems is he has a bit of a singing career um, that he does, but he's kept a very low profile after this so if it if it uh shades your opinion a little bit of the show yeah it's kind of a oh it's not kind of gross it is gross but yes it was not a uh happy story for him or people involved with him but uh that's why he hasn't really been doing much so uh there you go this is the worst thing that we've encountered so far that's awful truly awful it really is it's it's and it's one of those things where i was like do i mention it but i think we have to mention it right so it is what it is and uh i don't here's the thing it doesn't make the show any worse (laughs) i well i i mean i guess that's true but uh maybe don't support a singing career everybody yeah anyway so that's kind of gross well thanks for that jordan that was a real insight into uh something i am very grossed out by I promise you, as we go through this last episode, uh, knowing this now about him, it's going to be weird on this this episode as we go through it. Our savior is uh, not who we thought he was. Anyway, do you want to start getting into this episode? I have one other thing I wanted to, want to mention. And it was a, kind of actually a question for you. Sure. Do you want me to start the episode first or do you want the question? If you don't mind, I want to ask you your opinion as we've gotten to the end, because we haven't really talked about it and we really should have it to this point, which is Dexter the dog. I've been thinking about this all week, and I want to know what you thought. Dexter's a bit of an anomaly in this show. Clearly, it's writ- he, the dog is written to be sort of a character. It appears in both worlds, uh, obviously in the world of an harsh realm. So here's my question. Dexter the dog is one of three things. Is Dexter a computer program, like he, it's he's a VC, or is he a person that is hooked up to harsh realm that has been unfortunately made to be a dog, or is he a dog that's hooked up to Harsh Realm is living out a virtual dog life? I think it's one of those three things. Oh, I mean, I guess if the show had gone longer, they'd have to make a decision. And I mean, the most interesting thing would be for him to be a person hooked up to a dog. Yeah, how weird would that be? Wouldn't it be great if all the animals were just people who got just like a crappy, crappy gig? Like, yeah, you're going to get into Harsh Realm. Oh, yeah, boy, you're with a rat. Plug him in, plug him in. <laughs> I mean, I also like the idea that he is a, a dog in the real world as well, who's playing a different dog in uh, Harsh Row. He's he's a golden retriever who's playing, who's the playing Jack a Russell. little uh, Jack Russell Terrier. He's all hooked up. He's laying on a little cute little table with little little nodes on his forehead. His little legs run when he's chasing something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cute. That's very cute. Uh, good question, though. Thank you. You can see I've been spending my time wisely. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy week for you. Uh-huh. All right, uh, let's get into the episode then. So this is the synopsis for the final episode of Harsh Realm. Episode 9, Camera Obscura. 
Hobbes and Pinocchio get involved with a priest and two families feuding over a treasure of buried gold. Well, what they actually should just say is, this is the Hadfields and McCoys and uh, Romeo and Juliet. That's basically what this is. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It is a, it is a totally standalone episode. So everything we're going to talk about like almost has no bearing. It was, it was strange to me that this was the final episode, but actually, I know why. I just had the feeling when we started that we were going to not only not end on a cliffhanger, that it was going to be a standalone episode that really doesn't matter in the grand overarching uh, storyline that is this show. Um, and that's exactly what it is. It's just an episode that could be here, couldn't, you know, doesn't really matter. Well, uh, this is why it is the episode that it is. The show was canceled halfway through filming. And Chris Carter flew from L.A. to Toronto or to Vancouver to give them the bad news. So really, like the fact that they're still even like performing as well as they are is a credit to them because like they found out during this episode that the show was canceled. Really? That's surprising. Yeah. So there was supposed to be more episodes. This is just happens to be the one they stopped on. Yeah, I, I guess it all makes sense when you think about it. I mean, it is weird that they were filming when they when they found out they were canceled, but um but it is a weird episode to have finished on, which we'll go through because all of the weird dangling uh, mythology and world building that has been set up is would just you'll never know anything about it. There's no Santiago in this. There's no military in this. There's no real questions about reality. What is harsh realm versus the world? Uh, how does it work? None of that is in this episode. But there is something of use in this episode. Right off the top, the cold open explains how Harsh Realm got to where it is today. Do you, do you, do you want to synopsize that for us? What it basically is, is a, um, there, it shows a guy who's on a park bench and he's got a briefcase and he's clearly despondent or stressed out. He's, you, can, you can see the nerves on him and he, there's kids running and playing and, and life is going on. And basically what happens is you find out he has a nuclear bomb on him and he sets it off. So it blows up and, and destroys a large portion of the world as a nuclear bomb would. And then you get a, narr- a narrator saying, this was the plan for Harsh Realm. I think they mentioned it's six hours uh, was normal, like a normal replication of the world. And then a nuclear bomb goes off so that the game can basically start and soldiers can start dealing with what the world would be like, I guess, in a post-apocalyptic scenario. Is that a good way of explaining it? That's pretty good. I'll, I'll give you a little more specificity if you like. First of all, Harsh Realm went online on October 13th, 1995. Right, that's right. The bomb went off in New York, actually. So it only the only nuke that went off, or at least the only one we know about, went off in New York City. Right. Oh, right. And that's important to this episode. Yeah. And because they say uh, like 4 million VCs got killed in like two and a half seconds, that's sort of what happened. So we kind of see this bomb go off and basically the people who died in New York City when this like sketchy, stressed out guy sets off the bomb. And it kind of just gives us our first introduction as to what why society in Harsh Realm has fallen apart, other than it was just programmed that way, obviously. Right. It does It does seem odd that they would even have to go through that process. It's like, why not just program it as a post-nuclear world? Why even have to go through that scenario? But, I mean, why even ask questions of Harsh Realm at this point? They had to set the simulation up perfectly so that they'd know exactly what would happen when they set a variable into it. I see. Okay. All right, sure. <laughs> Oh, you hate my explanation. It's the last episode. Who cares? Who cares? (laughs) Anyway, after this cold open, we catch up with Hobbs and Pinocchio. And they're... Where are they, Jordan? How would you describe where they are? Uh, There's like hills with fires shooting out of them. And like cars. Remind me. Jog my memory. the, The camera like pans down over a bunch of mounds covered in grass. And there's like fire shooting at the top of them. And there's like cars randomly parked around like there's a woman like dancing on the back of one of them trying to entice them like oh yeah you know what it reminded me of a bunch of times you see movies that are set in the near future and everyone is sort of dressed like they're real big fans of pearl jam and it's like a weird apocalyptic early 90s and this is this seems to happen a lot and stuff it's always like it's like a post-apocalyptic world so there's a girl dancing uh with an anarchy t-shirt on a truck and i was like why is that always the go-to it's like every uh every wardrobe person has decided on the same thing it was very strange it felt like they were at a outdoor bar or maybe a barbecue it was very unclear 
Um, but I, you brought up Dexter earlier, but I was going to ask you, this is now the third episode where there's no dog. Uh, what happened to that dog? I can only assume him and uh, Florence are off having way more interesting adventures than the one we're seeing. There's an alternate show with Florence and the dog called, weirdly, Florence and the dog. And, and they're, it's way more interesting. You can actually see characters because of the lighting. The funny thing is neither character says anything. They just look at each other and it's a lot of like, hmm? Um, because one's a dog and one's a mute, but uh, much, much better show. So that's what that's what's happening on that end. They're like, I don't know, they're doing fun things. They're going to roller coasters and stuff. We'll put that in the uh, expanded universe in the future film series. It'll be uh, Florence and the Dog, a harsh realm story. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Anyway, what's interesting in this episode is it seems to come off of Cincinnati because Hobbs just keeps talking about how, in order to move forward, he needs to put together an army to oppose Santiago. And this is the first time we've ever heard him like state a goal, really. I've really ragged on Hobbs this whole time for nine episodes now about how dumb he is. And look, he's still dumb. There's no question about it. However, Pinocchio is such a drag to be around as your number two guy. And in this scene, and in many, many scenes, he's either mentioning how he wants to eat a dog or he basically is there to go, we've got no chance against Santiago. Like, and he says it in this scene again. It's just like, there's no point. Why even try? And can you imagine hanging out with that guy 24 hours a day, which is someone who's just everything is just poo-pooed? Like, man, Pinocchio, have a Snickers bar and cheer up or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's what they're there for. Like, Hobbs keeps saying, how are we going to recruit these guys to kind of join us in our crusade? And, like, Pinocchio doesn't want anything to do with it. He's a real Debbie Downer. I've said it before. It's true. It is very true. It's at this point, though, that we... uh meet a character i don't know if you caught this guy's name it was very funny i I had to look it up online because i half caught it i'm like did i hear that right no i didn't catch it what was it prince stewart oh that was his full name uh he's one he's one half of the mccloud what is it the mccoys and the hadfields and mccoys yeah the hadfields mccoys the stewarts are are his side of it um and he's there because he needs to hire get some hired guns to help protect his family in new york city He's heard that Hobbs and Pinocchio are very good at their jobs. I don't know why. Also not true. And he comes up to them and he offers them pieces of gold in order to like join them. It was so crazy. This is the first time we've ever really had um, this kind of currency show in the world. I think the quote I wrote down was, that gold buys you five men. And I was like, oh, so someone's worked this currency out. We've never mentioned anything about gold, and, and it seems an odd thing to create a currency in a world where at least a big or a large portion of the population knows this is not real. It's all been bartering up till now. I don't know what value gold brings you in a Five virtual po- apocalypse. It has the same problem that a lot of these episodes have, which is they're creating something that doesn't really jive with previous episodes. And I know that's being really nitpicky, but it is weird to have it be the crux of uh, this whole episode and we've never mentioned gold before because that's that's an easy line to have thrown in another episode oh i should get some gold for this or whatever but no one no one has cared about gold until this point well it's interesting because this gold comes up this episode and this is also the first episode that they've given pinocchio like a goal or a drive he really wants that gold because he's going to use it to kind of disappear or like live off of it the rest of this episode he's going to be obsessing over getting gold and kind of with the idea that he's going to retire or get away from all the Harsh Realm craziness, he's going to stay in Harsh Realm, but this is his ticket, he says. He goes, it's my sunset, is what I wrote down. It's the first time we've ever seen him want something. Other than his leg back. Other than his leg back. It's actually not a terrible character motivation for him. You know, he's someone who's physically being maimed in the real world. He's being made whole in this digital version, and... The character now wants to live the life that he can't in the real world. I think that's a great character motivation. However, they haven't shown that for the first eight episodes. They've waited yeah. to the last episode and go, oh, yeah, by the way, that's why he wants things. Because up to this point, it's been very wishy-washy about why. And I think I've mentioned it. Why is he even hanging out? He doesn't seem to like Hobbs at all. Why is he doing any of this stuff? You've brought it up before, and I haven't really thought about it too hard. But when it was finally like introduced here, I, I was really like, oh, that's weird. You're right. We don't know any of this character's real wants or needs or motivations. Oh, well, that's Harsh Realm. I mean, it's just par for the course. Anyway, uh, they head into New York, into Manhattan, actually, where uh, the Stewarts, the family, the Stewarts are living in an old Con Ed power plant. 
they arrive to like kind of meet the family, but the daughter is run off. Um, so Daddy Stewart asks Pinocchio to go help him search the sewer system to see if he can find her. And while they're down there, they bump into uh, the son of their arch enemy, the McKinleys, uh, this, this kid. He's going to be the Romeo for our Romeo and Juliet story. I was a little disappointed because I was hoping it wasn't going to be what it ended up being. And I was hoping it was going to be more like they discovered the Lost Boys and there was um, some sort of Peter Pan leader. But that wasn't what happened. Not only do they like quite clearly telegraph this is going to be a Romeo and Juliet story, like the one side's daughter loves the other side's son. But at some point, Pinocchio literally calls them Romeo and Juliet. Things in this episode move so quickly, which was, again, a problem in some previous episodes that sometimes I didn't even understand if a character was pretending or not. Like, We'll go into this, but right after this, Hobbes follows the boy back to his place. Pinocchio. Pinocchio, excuse me. And the guy, we'll go through it, but the guy's like, uh, do you want to work for me? I'll give you money. And Pinocchio's like, okay. And I thought, uh, uh, what? He just switched He just switched allegiances? And I thought it was like a weird, he was playing both sides, but he's not. He just wants money. Yeah, uh, Daddy Stewart wanted to beat up the kid in the sewers and Pinocchio wouldn't let him. So he walks him home, basically. And yeah, the, the Daddy McKinley's just like, I'll give you gold if you fight for my side. And yeah, Pinocchio's just like, cool, I'm in. Yeah, he, like, he doesn't even talk to Hobbes about it, or they don't, it's just, yeah, sure, I'll do it for money. Yeah, and then we cut back to the Stewart, uh, Stewart household, farmstead, I don't know, <laughs> the power plant they live in, and uh, Hobbes finds the daughter, and uh, she's just coming back from her rendezvous with uh, Romeo, uh, and like her mom catches her too and just like slaps the shit out of her. Very, very mean family. <laughs> But uh, as Daddy Stewart gets back, he finds Hobbes and he tells Hobbes that the McKinleys have kidnapped Pinocchio. Not that Pinocchio's walked off, but that he's been kidnapped. And that he just basically bullies Hobbes into agreeing to attack him, attack the McKinleys to get Pinocchio back. And Hobbes is just like, I don't, I don't I, maybe we should look into it or do some scouting. And the guy just like keeps bullying him until Hobbes agrees. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take much to convince Hobbes of anything, though. You're just like, uh, uh, man bad. And Hobbes is like, okay because he's dumb it is true he actually draws up uh, he draws up battle plans for them like on a loose leaf sheet of paper and when you finally get to see the battle plans it looks like a like a high school football coach's <laughs> playbook it <laughs> makes no sense i was hoping that it was just drawn in crayon because it was hobbs i assume that he just like grabbed it in his like silly little fist and just smashed together like pictures of of you know a son and some people and stuff i mean it's not that far off yeah it's not that far off it's at this point in the episode that they introduce uh, another character, this priest who kind of lives in the vicinity of these two families who are feuding. We actually saw him a little bit in the cold open. The guy with the bomb talked to him briefly. And then at the end of that cold open, after the nuke's gone off, we see this rubble of a church and we see like a scarred hand, like, 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 what, like, uh, who am I thinking of? Not Splinter. Shredder? Shredder, like Shredder at the end of Ninja Turtles 1, when he like his hand juts out of the rubble after having been beaten up. It was a, a very funny scene, but this is this is this character, this priest who survived the nuclear blast in New York, and he's still kind of living in the area. Like, can I mention two things about uh, uh, this character? One, he's our second Two-Face character. Yeah, half his face is scarred. And he's played by um, a character actor, Robert Nepper. And I don't know if you know that actor, but he's he's done a ton of stuff. He's been in a bunch of Star Treks, too. I don't even remember. Um, he's been in Voyager, and he was in Next Generation. He was in Carnival. He's 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 a really good actor, and I don't know if this role lended itself to him being able to really show anything, but he is a good actor. It's, it's funny, actually. Uh, Melanie's watching iZombie, and uh, the last couple of seasons, he's been playing a priest, a zombie priest on iZombie. So it, I saw him. I'm like, hey, that's that priest on that other show. Oh, how about that? Full circle his career. Yeah, he doesn't like mentioning Harsh Realm, though. Who does? After I kind of read about Scott, um, like we're friends, Scott, there's a lot of scenes of him and the teenager girl by themselves having like kind of like heart to hearts. And I was like, these scenes haven't aged well. Well, full context, not something that's good. Doesn't look so good. I, I kept thinking, I'm like, like to the mo- the mother character, I'm like, maybe go monitor what's happening here. Because I don't know what's happening with Hobbs and, and your daughter in the sewer. Don't leave him with this stranger. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the one thing I noticed about the priest's scarring, he was like theoretically at ground zero of a nuclear blast. His scarring looks like a suntan, like a bat, like I know. a mild burn. 
I think part of it is just is budgetary restrictions, but you're right. It, it is funny to have been through a uh, at ground zero of a nuclear bat, a blast and your injuries are fairly superficial. No, for sure. It's very, it's, it's very minor. I think he might have a limp though too. Oh, he might have a limp. But what he did gain from the nuclear blast is he now has this stone altar that has like a light glowing down at it. Like it kind of weirdly looks like a lava lamp, but it's like full of like people's faces. Like he has this data stream from yeah. Harsh Realm that like allows him to see possible futures. Which we should go into in a little bit about the how this works. But yes, it's it's sort of supposed to representing sort of like knowledge from god at least that's how he's taking it that he's been given this gift that will allow him to see the future so that he can change the outcome of things yeah also very funny that the nuclear bomb that was just supposed to start harsh realm simulation also damaged it somehow to the point that it's showing the future that's the world that uh, harsh realm is it's a very imperfect simulation anyway the priest has been using this like device and he's he's been warning the mckinleys about what the stewards have been up to kind of like he posits he's protecting them from the feud so they don't get killed and i should mention this because we haven't yet uh the mckinleys live in a bank because that's where gold is and the stewards live just like what 10 feet down the street in this power plant so they're very closely in proximity i don't know if it was meant to look the way it did but the way it's been filmed and the way the scenes play out, it seems as if they're almost quite literally beside each other because anytime they're like, we got to go find the McKinley's, they just like take two steps and they're right there beside each other. And this happens over and over in the episode. And it's funny because it just, there's no way you could have this conflict and have them literally on top of each other. Well, I mean, we're, we should get, I'll mention this now. We don't need to get into it, but I'll mention it now. These two characters if you think we're kind of describing like warlords or some sort of like strong family patriarch no this is like two suburban dads who live next to each other like that's the amount of gravitas and like thought that is in these characters it's very weird their their character motivations are they're angry at each other and of course we learn later i don't think this is spoilers the reason they're angry at each other is they used to be partners they both wanted to get gold and they both feel that the other person stole some gold from the other person. So now it has created this gigantic feud that could clearly be uh, resolved with one conversation. But anyway, that's that's the feud that they two have. That these, yeah. But you're right; they look like two just dads, just normal dudes. It's like they're having a fencing dispute about who's the fence is on which side of the property. Yeah, your branch is growing over my fence. Anyway, the priest gives the McKinley side. He uses his uh, future seeing power to give them Hobbes's battle plan to kind of give them the heads up the attacks coming and he gives them like the exact time it's going to happen. Here's what I don't understand about this this program. It would make sense to me if things played out all as a computer program, but with every real person in the game, the outcomes would always change. Am I am I not wrong? Am I not right, excuse me? Theoretically, it should all play out exactly the same every time. It's it's the variables that come into it. And the only variables in the game would be the non-VC characters. So by introducing Hobbes and Pinocchio in, because they're the only things not running on the computer program, they'd be the only variables that could change anything. How would they ever possibly be able to get his battle plan? And he actually has a physical copy of the battle plan somehow. Um, I'm guessing they had that he wrote it down. How would you even get that if Hobbes is not a programmed character? So the Harsh Realm program would never know how he would react to something to the point of it would be able to replicate documents he wrote. Well, my guess would be that Hobbes has already written it at that point. In the story he has, anyway, he's already started drawing the battle plan. So he could at least, they are in existence. Well, that, that I guess that's my point. I understand if it's in existence, but it seems like not only does it give you what's going to happen but then he also is able to the priest excuse me is able to adjust what's able to happen but then it changes this thing i guess you're right it's giving possible futures yeah i think it's possible futures right that's that's okay. my guess anyway it, it's it never gets into it very clearly it's just like he has the ability to see possible futures and then they just like wave their hands and that's the end of that yeah look over there yeah exactly uh before the battle happens though um hobbs and pinocchio managed to like get back together finally and like touch base they haven't seen each other now in a couple hours and pinocchio has switched sides and they kind of like 
get into uh, what Pinocchio thinks the best way to do, the best thing to do is, which is Pinocchio wants them to let the two families fight so they can get paid by both sides. They really show him in this episode to really have no scruples, which I think maybe they've hinted at before, but this is really the only episode where they've they've really made it explicit. No, it's it's very clear in this episode that they finally are like, oh, he just wants to make a lot of money so he can do something. So he doesn't care how he gets it, which is weird because there's been no currency up till now, but that's fine. There's, at least it's a, a motivation for him. Right. Uh, but he also happens to show Hobbes this uh, battle plan that Hobbes has made. And so now Hobbes is like, oh, hey, how do you have my battle plan already? He's like, oh, that uh, priest can see the future. So uh, Hobbes takes a little brief break to go talk to the priest, too. And the priest is and he's and he, he doesn't want these two people to fight. So he asks the priest what he can do to stop them from fighting. And the priest tells him, just don't let them fight until 417. And then uh, your problems will be solved. He's very mystical. He won't explain what he means. But like this kind of gives Hobbes motivation to at least attempt to stop them from fighting. This is one thing that drives me crazy in TV shows, which is someone is being vague for no other reason than you need the characters to not have that information so the episode can keep going. There's no reason that the priest can't go, hey, guys, I have this thing that can show me the future. Why don't we all come look at it and you can stop your stop your fight or whatever it might be, you know, but it's like, oh, I have to be vague just because it's like, well, don't be vague. Yeah, it's true. Although, I mean, maybe I'll maybe I'll just spoil it right now. Uh, the priest's secret motivation is he's actually trying to keep the feud going because he's very lonely. And uh, if he doesn't keep the feud going, they'll all leave and he'll be by himself. Which, again, makes no sense because it's like, well, why don't you just go with him? Yeah, he could easily leave. But like he is being vague because he feels like if he doesn't tell them everything, he can keep them near him. So he's not lonely. That's his only reason. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb. It's dumb. Anyway, it's very silly. But we got back to this battle that's about to happen. Hobbes is trying to hold them off till 417. Um, and as the battle starts, and it's a very bad battle. Like if this was Hobbes's plan, it's crazy. They're kind of just like wildly shooting at each other and not hitting anybody. Did you notice though that it seemed like the directing got very different at this point? It suddenly seemed like a De Palma movie. There was these very disarming close-ups of people's faces at sort of an odd low angle and there was a bunch of shots like that and it had that nothing has been like that in a harsh realm up to this point and suddenly in the battle i was like is someone else directing this it was very weird did you notice that too i I didn't notice it actually no but i I would guess that it was a good way to cover up some awkward choreography ah well maybe that's what it was um but at any rate on 417 on the nose they have to call the battle for rain because it starts to rain acid rain that's true it is acid rain it is it is burning their skin so it's not just that it's wet outside but but again the priest could have just said hey at 417 it's going to rain acid rain so if you don't want to hurt your friend start the battle then but he had to be all mystical about it it's very funny because Hobbes keeps going back to this priest like I think he goes back now and is just like why don't you stop the feud and as I just spoiled for you it's because he's lonely he doesn't want them to go so Hobbes takes Pinocchio's gold from him and gives it to Romeo and Juliet and says, if you two run away, you two at least can get away from your crazy families. And the priest is like, no, if they leave, they'll die. And Hobbes is like, nah, don't listen to that guy. Just get out of here. Also, isn't it funny that after the, the last episode where Hobbes was so weirdly spiritual or religious or however you want to say it, uh, to the point where he never shut up about his belief that there was a higher power controlling Harsh Realm. This episode, it's just like, meh, I don't believe any of this stuff. Yeah, he waves off a priest who claims to have a direct line to God. It's it's very inconsistent. What I did like, though, is as soon as the Romeo and Juliet take the golden run off, he turns to Pinocchio and says, well, I guess we can go. There's really We don't really need to do anything else here. And Pinocchio's like, I need my gold. We got to get more gold. He's really obsessed with gold. Yeah, he's like he's like a leprechaun in this episode. As someone pointed out to me, he's actually kind of like a dragon. Oh, yeah, right. He's real. Was it Smog? Was it from The Hobbit? Yeah, Smog from The Hobbit. He just got to get that gold. Anyway, as soon as the acid rain stops, oh, this is what you're saying. The feud is immediately back on. Like the McKinleys and the Stewarts are like face to face again, basically yelling at each other where they left off. Except for some reason in scenes we didn't get to see, somehow the McKinleys have kidnapped Juliet because the priest like ratted them out. The kids out when they're running away. So the McKinleys are now holding her hostage. And in, in return to get them back, they basically force the Stewarts to turn on the power 
in the power plant so they can use the elevator to go down into the bank vault and start getting the gold. Well, we should mention that was the uh, sort of stalemate that these two families had. One family was controlling the power and one family was controlling the actual vault but the family controlling the vault couldn't actually get into it because they didn't have access to power, so they couldn't take the, uh, I guess, the freight elevator down to the gold. So that was the sort of stalemate. So at this point, the power is being put on so people can get down to the vault where they're hoping gold is. And Hobbs immediately puts it together that the priest, somehow he puts it together that the priest ratted out the kids. He goes back to the priest, and the priest kind of like lets him into his inner sanctum and shows him his magical future viewing station. I don't even know, this altar he has. And when Hobbes looks in, he sees an image of Pinocchio killing him. Yep. That's all. But you know it's not going to happen, so, you know, there's no tension. You didn't think it raised the stakes? (laughs) No, it didn't at all. (laughs) So we cut back to the McKinleys waiting for the power to come back on so they can, like, go down to the vault. And as soon as the power comes back on, which is my favorite part, Pinocchio betrays them all so that he can have the gold to himself. I know. What was his plan coming out? They're still all up there. He's just going to yeah. point his gun and get out? Carrying, like, how much gold could he carry? I don't know. But he basically takes the elevator down by himself. And then like Hobbs, knowing that there's danger, runs in. But he's there too late. So he has to follow Pinocchio down into the vault, knowing that he could himself die in that vault. And let me ask you now, because at this point, uh, Pinocchio seems to be acting fairly irrationally, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, he's got gold fever. Well, well, that's the thing, because I, I thought they were sort of implying that the gold is down there, but it's very irradiated. There's been so much radiation from this nuclear ba- blast that if you're down there so long, you'll end up dying from radiation poisoning. But Pinocchio is acting very, very strange. And my thought was, are they implying that radiation uh, makes you crazy? Because that's how it seemed. Like, he was acting so irrationally and so off the wall that it seemed more than just someone who wanted money. Oh, yeah. That's what they're implying. They're implying that radiation has driven him insane. Like, he's got this one goal, get gold, and now all he can do is, like, focus on it because of radiation poisoning. But I, I, I don't think you just get sick from radiation poisoning. You don't, like... He should just be on the ground feeling sick. That should be that. Yeah. With, like, sores on his body. I guess that's not as interesting a character. Yeah, uh, that's basically what's happening, though. When when Hobbs gets down there, the vault has been, like, blocked by, by a falling bricks or something. There's, like, an obstruction in the way. So Hobbs is pulling bricks off, trying to get the gold. And, sorry, Pinocchio is. And Hobbs has an argument with him. And it's really awkwardly staged because we've seen that this is where Pinocchio will shoot Hobbs. But when they get in this argument, all Hobbs does is he, I guess, instead of continuing the argument, he just walks away. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as Pinocchio turns his back, Hobbs just runs back and just smashes him in the head with a brick. Yeah, that's it. That's the end, end of the conflict. Like it was, I thought there was going to be more of like seeing the future that he was going to have to do something more to like, uh, you know, stop this conflict. But it was really weird. He just kind of like pretended to leave. Pinocchio got bored, went back to what he was doing. I thought it was going to be like a back to the future type thing where he was going to get shot by Pinocchio and then pulls out like the bulletproof vest and was like, uh, you warned me to wear it or something like that, you know, but it wasn't. It just was like, no, I just knocked him out. That would have made way more sense. Like it, it was a lot of setup for something that did not pay off in any way, shape or form. What we're finding is that Back to the Future is a much better uh, way to spend your time than than Harsh Realm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Hobbes goes to pull, pull Pinocchio out of the uh, out of the vault. He actually like sees a beautiful golden light beam pouring out of the bricks where the gold is. And he kind of takes a peek in, teasing us that there might be something else in there. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, we'll get a shot later where it pushes in and it's just a vault full of gold. I, I don't know what they were teasing us with. It was a weird thing. It's like this: the last show, shot of the show, I think, is just this shot of gold. It, I think it's supposed to be like teasing something, but it's just it's like, yeah, we know there's gold in there. Okay, thanks. They set it up like there was going to be some sort of surprise twist that that's not what was in the vault. But when they finally do the big reveal, it it is just a lot of gold. No gremlins jump out or there's not a double of Hobbes in there or anything. It's just gold. (laughs) So Hobbes takes Pinocchio. They go back up to the main floor. Hobbes has brought one brick of gold with him, which he points at and he tells uh, the feuding families. He's like, this gold is irradiated. You can't take it. And they're like, oh, okay. They bury the hatchet. They pack their bags, and like in the next scene, they're all just walking away. 
Yeah, and and the priest is like, but 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 me. <laughs> yeah, the priest runs out like begging them to stay, and I'm just like, you can also leave. Yeah, just go or find some new people. Like it's such a weird. Anyways, all the motivations on the show is, is very weird. My last note I made on this was uh, after we had that shot was, what a terrible end to this stupid stupid show. <laughs> It was really, it was very silly. Like, the motivations were so easy to, like, the feud ended by them telling, oh, gold poison. They're like, oh, sorry for fighting. Let's just get out of here. The priest is just sad because he's lonely. And we actually get a moment with Hobbs and uh, Pinocchio where they're, like, kind of apologizing to each other for their, like, behavior. And uh, Pinocchio's like, well, I guess you're stuck with me a little longer. And I'm like, it's still unclear why you're spending any time. You don't like him, clearly. You just want gold. Why are you guys hanging out? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's where the show wraps up. It's crazy. It's crazy that it wraps up there. It's as disappointing ending as as you could write. As, as anyone could write. All right, you want to rate this episode? And then I can tell us what the series finally wrapped up at? I'm going to not only give this an episode, but as a whole, uh, I'm going to give this a 3.5. Which I know is really, really low for the ratings I've given. But like, you just gave me nine episodes and that's how you ended it. 3.5. That is very harsh on your part yeah all right i i for me you know what it actually wasn't a terrible episode it's a real five just like right down the middle yeah which uh do you want to know that brings the grand uh, total score for harsh realm to Uh, i'm curious to see how it ranks against some of the other ones we've we've watched the final uh rating for this from us anyway is 5.85 oh so it's much higher than both beyond westworld and uh tech war yeah, this is the this is our highest rated series. Well, to be fair, it's probably the most competent of all the shows. Now, it's not a good show, as you can see from the ratings, but it's probably the most... I think more parts came together in this than other shows. Well, I guess this is a good time to ask. Then, would you recommend anyone watch this? What I would say is, I don't remember the actual episode numbers, but there's about three or four of the nine episodes that are just the mythology episodes and are just about trying to defeat Santiago, and I would say just watch those. And so, like, watch episodes, you know, two, four, six, and seven, or whatever they were, and and just forget everything else. Yeah, I get a super cut of, like, the world it was. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. for Chris Carter completionists only. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. I don't know. You, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna have a quick, quick look here. At any highlights or lowlights? Um, very broadly speaking, but uh, do you, uh, do you know what your uh? highest rated episode was in harsh realm my highest rated episode i'm gonna guess it was the episode with the doubles you're right three percenters that was your favorite episode yeah what, what did i give that it was like a 7.5 it was uh right. carlito's room numbers <laughs> what was your favorite episode I, I i my highest rated was cincinnati actually the one with the uh santiago uh stealing that guy's face oh really yeah okay that was my highest rated you hated it so much. I, I don't know why. I, I don't remember why either. This is the, this last episode was probably my least favorite. But again, it's it's almost unfair to the show. But it was just like, this is your final episode. What a stinker. Well, this is funny because uh, that brings me uh, to the other side of the, the coin. Um, we both gave one episode 3.5. Uh, you gave this one 3.5. So obviously your lowest rating. Do you know what I gave 3.5 to? Maybe the second episode? I gave it to the pilot. Oh, well, that makes sense. What did I give the pilot? Oh, uh, probably like eight. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did. I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll give you one second. But I, I just thought it was very interesting that uh, you hated the last one, and I hated the first one the most. Well, there we are. You gave you gave the first episode a five. Okay. We reversed our, our ratings on the, fir- on the last episode. We're like uh, the bizarro version of each other. Well, that explains a lot. Does it? <laughs> I Does can't, it? I can't. I was going to try to like riff on that, but I had nothing. I don't know how. You say goodbye when I say hello. Right. I don't know. How does Bizarro work? He actually says bad bye, but... Oh, fair enough. All right. I I mean, in broad strokes, uh, were there any highlights on the show for you? I think it was an interesting idea, but I think the execution didn't work for a myriad of reasons that we've, I'm sure, gone into over the last several hours of talking about it. But I think the concept of living in two worlds and those worlds somehow affecting each other and trying to work in these realities i think that's an interesting idea so that's a highlight but i just don't think it ever actually worked right right well i mean my highlight i think was the weird tech stuff that was happening like i love the zip files 
the pause guns, the glitches they went through, which they stopped using very quickly. Oh, yeah, they're right. They did stop after like episode four or something. There wasn't any more glitches. Yeah, but there was a lot of fun, like weird. What what are the errors in the code that were like kind of fun parts of it? They just never leaned into it. So it, but those were the highlights for me is like getting to see these weird games they played within the concept. Also, I think maybe a highlight would be uh, another female character who they've given nothing to do as for every series we watch it's just like the most misogynistic casting and writing ever well i mean technically two female characters they did that with in this episode in the show oh that's right because sophie didn't have anything to do either she has been gone maybe longer than the dog's been gone who do you feel worse about <laughs> the dog or sophie <laughs> uh sophie because now i know she's uh from from, from mario, uh, brothers? Super mario brothers all right so that's that's it that's it for harsh realm jordan uh, we've talked about this on the air and I think a little off the air that at the beginning of the show, I usually have a conversation with you about how I don't think I'm going to make it through the show and and uh, how difficult it is. And then by the end, I'm a little bit wistful of like, oh, we we did another one. It's finished. It's been it's been a good go around. I mean, not a great show, but it was interesting. I didn't hate it. I, I had a good time watching and talking about it. So for the most part. Yeah. And are we going to mention what we're uh, going to do the one off next week? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, we're going to watch, and I actually don't know that much about it, but um, uh, we're going to watch a Justice League pilot. I actually don't know when this aired. I'm going to guess early 2000s or so. So it's sort of similar around the same time of A Harsh Realm. From what I know, it only ever aired uh, somewhere in Europe, maybe several countries in Europe, but I think very few people have seen this. I'm going to guess it's real bad, but uh, maybe it's fun. Maybe it's... Uh, a little bit of a gem we not sure so we're gonna watch that next week and we'll talk about justice league justice league the tv show i'm very interested yeah all right jordan um if there's any listeners out there who uh, want to talk to us some more about harsh realm or maybe get back into some of the other shows we've talked about if you have some thoughts some interesting stories about them you can let us know uh you can email us at continuum drag at gmail.com and of course you can follow us on instagram and twitter at continuum drag where we uh, post stuff about the show pretty much every day but yeah that's about it jordan so i guess until next time It's been good uh, continuing dragging with you. All right. We'll uh, talk to you next time. Talk to you next time, Jordan. Bad bye. Bad bye. Good. Good job, Jordan. That was a good callback. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.